just declare you as everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, wonderful Counselor. We just declare you as that this morning, Lord Jesus. We love you. We offer all our worship to you, all our songs to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Amen. <laughs> check, check. Oh, good morning. All right. Maybe a little loud back there. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So, uh, all right, kids. So I have a prop because I always try to have a prop, right? So today, what is this? An apple. Apple. That was quick. Yeah. So I know you're going to tell me exactly what kind of apple, the genus, the whole thing. I get it. But like, uh, this is just an apple. So if if we were, if we were hanging out together. Right? And the apple was sitting somewhere, like on a table. We would say what? This is just an apple, right? What do you do with an apple? You eat it. It's just an apple. But what if I told you that this was a special apple? I have special plans for this apple. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna slice it, right? I'm gonna peel it, okay? I'm gonna bake it into a pie. Oh, who likes apple pie? Yeah? Lots of hands going up here, right? Or maybe I'm going to um, take it and mash it all up, put it in a blender, right? Mix it up and make apple juice. Or warm it up and make apple cider. Because they, they say fall is coming. I don't know yet, but uh, my wife put pumpkin spice uh, creamer in my coffee this morning. So maybe that's the sign, the first sign of fall. So, okay. Or one last one. What if I was to cut this apple open and take the seeds out and use the seeds to plant an apple tree in my yard. That's what you would do, right? <laughs> okay, so why am I talking to you about this apple? Here's why. We tend to, as people, and even when you're kids, we look at each other and just think we're just another person. But the truth is, it's just like I have a special plan for this apple, God has a special plan for each one of you. So don't ever believe the lie inside your head or the lie from anybody else that you're not important, that you don't matter, because God has a special plan for you and just you alone. It's unique to you. Okay? So when you start to think, I'm just another person, I want you to remember the apple. Can you do that for me? Okay. All right, you can head to class. All right. Good morning. You watching online because you you missed beautiful worship. Something happened with our our Facebook feed. Hopefully you got part of it and then you got the end of it. And there's more to come, I promise. But uh, um, thank you for joining us online. Thank you to all of you that are here um, in person with us today. Um, it's wonderful to see all of you. I'm excited about today's message, because we're continuing in our series in the book of James called Faith and Works. And I'm pretty excited about today because it's the largest section of James in the series. We're going to be covering James from chapter 3 all the way through the first part of chapter 4 through verse 17. So conveniently, 
for a guy like me, okay, the subject matter is all about words. So as you probably know already, the book of James spends a lot of time, probably the most of the book devoted to the words that we speak, how we speak, why we speak, and I'm sure you also know that words are powerful. American novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne said this. He said, words, so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent and evil they become in the hands of someone who knows how to combine them. Yes, words can be evil. They can be destructive. Honestly, if you've ever eaten lunch at a junior high school cafeteria every day, you know that to be true, right? But, but words can also be life-giving. They can be creative. They can be wonderful. Simply just think for a moment about a time in your life when someone spoke encouraging, life-giving words to you. Wasn't it amazing? In fact, we know from the book of Genesis that, that God literally spoke the world into existence. In, in Psalm 33.9, it's written this way, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Words are powerful. Words have meaning. An ill-timed or perfectly timed word spoken to another person can impact them for their entire lives. Think about that for just a moment. You can change the trajectory of another person's life simply by the way you speak to them and the words that you choose to use. And this might have been some of the impetus behind why James devoted so much time in this, to this subject in his letter. And because this is the largest section of James that we're going to cover, I'm going to tackle the chapters in bigger chunks today. Uh, just to see what James has to teach us about both speaking and boasting. So let's get started. Let me, let me pray for us first before we dig in. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover today. So if you'll pray with me. Lord, please transform our words into messengers of hope and reconciliation. Help us resist the temptation to speak evil of others and instead give us the strength to share the hope of Jesus with everyone that we can. And all God's people said, Amen. So if you have your Bibles open, your apps up and ready and fired up and ready to rock and roll, here we go. We're going to be in James chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 5, excuse me, verse 1. We're going to go 1 through 5. In this first section here, it says this. Not many of you should become teachers my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. James begins this section by, by making a point about the judgment that teachers or preachers will incur because of their position, which wouldn't make a ton of sense if not connected to the rest of the chapter, where we learn just how powerful words can be. And of course, words are the primary medium through which teachers teach and preachers preach. Maybe James is trying to acknowledge just how serious the situation is by revealing the weight of responsibility that he carries. Either way, he immediately moves on in, in verse 2 by saying, we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, we all know there are no perfect men, no perfect women. So guess what? We all stumble. A perfect man, he says, is able to bridle his whole body. The point he's trying to make is that if we could, if we could control this thing, we could control everything else. In simple terms, right? If, if you're able to control your mouth, you can control anything. You've, you've reached the end of the journey, okay? You've reached perfection. And all of us have said things, quite honestly, that we wish we could just take back or change. Because even though the tongue is such a small part of our bodies, it can have an immeasurable impact. James goes on to give three practical examples in verses 3 through 5 about how something large and powerful is controlled by something comparatively small, tiny, right? A horse's bit controls the whole horse. The rudder of a ship steers the whole ship. Even a small fire can be used to make a giant blaze. All of these things are ultimately under the control or the will of something else. It's a good reminder that we have a role to play in all of this. We have a responsibility over our words, over our tongues, over the, the choice to use them for profit or for destruction in the kingdom. And what is the potential for disaster here? Why is this such a big deal? Well, if, if we continue on and we look at what he says in, in verse 6, he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now think about all the ways that the tongue is described here in this one verse. It's a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. Set among our members, all the members of our body, whether that's the, the church body or, or the people we work with or our neighbors or our friends or family, all of that. Staining the whole body. This, this one member has the ability to stain and pollute all those around you. You know, I've been, uh, 
I feel like the, the currency of Christianity is relationship. The currency of Christianity is relationship. Relationship that we have with each other. The relationships that we try to build with our community and with everyone else. That, that's what it's all about. Spreading the gospel is, is about relationships. And you, you grow or destroy a relationship with the words that come out of your mouth. Setting on fire the entire course of life. This, this verse here, when he says this, it's, it's actually better translated as the circle of life. And before you start breaking out in a Lion King, you know, music here, just it, it shows the, the tongue's ability to spread evil beyond just the individual. Literally to everything in its sphere of influence. And he says, set on fire... And, and the point that James is trying to make is, is getting clearer and clearer. No human has been able to tame the tongue. In fact, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother and sisters... These things ought not to be so. Amen, right? When we curse others and then sing praises out of the same mouth, it sends the wrong message to others. Worst of all, it reminds us of our inherent sinful nature. You know, one of the things that, that the church gets a lot of... of uh, criticism from, from those who, who don't know the Lord, who don't come to church, they say you're all a bunch of hypocrites. Right? The church is full of hypocrites. I'm like, yeah, but we've got room for one more. Come on in. <laughs> it, you know, I mean, it, it, that's the reality of it. That's what James is talking about. Because we are new creations, right? We're, we're, we're painful ways just how rotten and awful we can be to one another so I'm, I'm going to read this next section of James if you have your, your Bibles open please follow along uh, with me um, but it's a large section so I didn't put slides up for it because it was it's pretty massive it's James 3.13 through 4.10 it says this who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, 
impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world and makes himself an enemy of God, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So, it seems like a real downer. It seems like a lot of ugliness. And, and, but there is an antidote to this. What is the antidote to all of this ugliness? James says it in this last verse. It's humility. It's meekness. It's kindness. He says, Humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. That, that word exalt, it means to lift up, it means to raise up. Isn't it true that, that so many of our arguments and our divisions stem from a place where we want something? Where, where we have a hole that needs to be filled? We want our way, right? Whether it's, it's to be seen as smart, or, or maybe funny, or wise, or maybe it's to be wealthy, and powerful, or healthy, and free-spirited, whatever the case may be, we often use our words to try and accomplish for ourselves what we never would be able to on our own. When I was writing that out, I, I, it was very obvious to me what was missing. I kept repeating over and over again, hour, hour, hour. It wasn't intentional when I wrote it, but I realized it. There's no mention of God. It's all here. It's all me, 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 right? My favorite opera, me, 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 me. Enough about you, how about me, right? You know, right? That's what, what it showed me. You know, we... What, what we want is wholeness and peace and contentment, and yet somehow, ironically, we cause so much destruction in our pursuit of that because we're not focused in the right place. We're not focused on the right person. James continues in, in 4.11, 
It says, do not speak evil against one another. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? These couple of verses are a great reminder of what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In context, when Jesus was talking about this, it was right after he told someone, he says, you know, you, you have to take the log out of your own eye before you can take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. It's not that judgment isn't real, but it's God's role to judge. Who am I to judge someone else when I know what's going on in here, I know what's going on in here. God is the only true judge of the thoughts, the motives, and the intentions of others. And I need that reminder every day. I drive Alco Highway every day, trust me. I need that reminder every day. I don't know what's going on in these people's heads. When we speak evil of, revile, or slander another person, we, we aren't speaking kingdom life into them. To, to the very opposite, we're speaking the language of the devil himself. When we do such things, his, his native language is death, condemnation, shame, slander, destruction. That, that all comes from the enemy. None of us want to be a part of that. We got to resist him. We have to resist the temptation to speak like him. I hope you never stop learning in life. My goal is to never stop learning. And sometimes the most surprising teachers are my kids. As a parent, sometimes you learn more from your kids than they're learning from you at the time, right? See, there, there's no instruction book, no Chilton's auto repair manual that comes with each individual that shows up as a part of your family. Because as I was teaching the kids, they're all unique. We're all unique, every one of us, right? So there isn't a, just a general like Dr. Spock's guide. That, that might help a little bit, but that doesn't tell you about that person that you're dealing with, that person that God entrusted you with. And all the parents right now are collectively bouncing. We look like a, a shelf of bobbleheads in here right now. But it's the truth. Even if you do not have children, you've been on the child side of the argument before. And then as you get older, you, you start to realize the parent side of the argument. Even if you're not a parent, when you realize, oof, they were just trying to speak wisdom into me because of what they had learned, right? So more often than not, you, you, you try to, you learn from your parents, but every once in a while, you learn from your kids. You see, we, we teach our kids, and they teach us. But, but a lot of what we know is not just taught, it's caught. Okay, it's, it's, it's how we were raised, it's the environment we were raised in, or who we, we spent time with, and, and who we're around. You know, there, there's that old saying, you know, if you want to be successful, hang out with successful people, you know, all that sort of thing, right? 
Sometimes you learn what not to do when you're around people and you, you grow up and you kind of get the wisdom to look back and go, oh, yeah, that was a bad choice. Okay, that kind of thing, right? So inevitably, when, when your kids become adults, and for you who have young kids, I promise you that will happen at some point. They, they will become adults, okay? <laughs> it, it's a part of it, right? There will come a time when you're having a disagreement with an adult child. That's a weird word diapers okay don't tell me all right so I'm gonna share a very personal story with you because this came to me while I was researching the power and destruction of words I was having a phone argument with my oldest son. This was years ago. So I, I can't even tell you how long ago. But, but we were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and, and it had to have been bad because we're both non-confrontational by, by nature. We don't like to, to argue. But we got into it, right, on the phone. And, and what's so funny is as I decided to share this with you, I thought, I don't remember what we were fighting about. And I don't even remember specifically what was said. But I do remember what I learned from my son. There was a, a lull in the fight. looking at the camera because he was too stubborn to do that but but it's still a good good picture of him right but but we were having this this fight on the phone and he got quiet and then he said to me you know dad um you tend to fight dirty and i said what he said you say things that will intentionally hurt and i thought about that was there truth to that and the truth is yes, there was a lot of truth to it. I did do that. I don't do that anymore. I made a point, I made a promise that day with God that I'm going to try my hardest not to fight like that anymore. Here's why. I'm not going to justify it, but I am going to justify it, okay? It's caught and it's taught. I grew up in a house with four siblings, okay? I had a lot of friends. I was always the smallest kid in school in my class. But God gave me this wonderful big mouth and a pretty smart brain. That's a dangerous combination when you're the smallest kid. The only weapon you have in a fight is this thing. And so I honed it. I sharpened it. I got good at it. But what's the goal? Was the goal to build? Was the goal to edify? Was the, was the goal to, to restore a relationship or to patch a relationship? No. The goal was to leave a trail of bodies behind me. Because I just cared about me. It wasn't about the relationship, which again is the currency of God's kingdom, is a relationship. I wasn't growing my relationships. 
So weigh your words carefully. Because James reminds us, for with the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. We pick it up in, in, in verse 13 of chapter 4. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, we'll spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now James is, is moving on to make another very important point, but I want to go back for just a second and say this, okay? Don't wait to change what's coming out of your mouth because we don't know the future. He asks the question, where do things like boasting come from? All right, what about arrogance? Where does that come from? Well, you guessed it right here, right? Straight out of our mouths. With all these examples that have been given through chapters 3 and 4, it's, it's easy to see why James is so passionate about it. But this, this last example, having to do with the power and the sovereignty of God. How many of us have flippantly spoken about all the things that we are going to do, all the projects we're going to complete, so on and so forth. We, we talk as if we have control over the future, as if we can simply speak things into existence. Like, like, a, like a beautiful 2,000 square foot deck overlooking my backyard, which isn't really that big, but hey, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? No, it didn't happen. Truth is, like James, we're just missed. is that we will do such and such if the Lord wills. I realize that it might sound odd. We're not really in the, in the practice of that. That may sound a little off-putting to others, but, but maybe doing something like this will help us in our right place. It'll put us there in our right place and put God where he belongs, and there won't be any more of that our, 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 our mentality. We'll put God where he belongs, in his place. Maybe a little reverence could go a long way, both in our hearts and in the hearts of others around us. Can you imagine the effect you might have on people? Oh, wait, that's interesting, right? wonder why he said that. wonder why she said that. Truth is, we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
I think we can agree it's kind of foolish of us to talk as if we've got next summer's vacation all locked down because we don't know. But don't tell my wife that. She's a planner that would short-circuit her mind, okay? <coughs> but God knows, and he is sovereign. He, he watches over us. Psalm 121 says, from morning to evening. Lamentations tells us that his loving mercy and kindness are fresh every morning. And his word has an awful lot to say about how we should use our words. So I'm going to give you a few gold nuggets of wisdom that come from just one chapter in Proverbs, and that's Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Been there. <laughs> so many times, I can't even tell you. Proverbs 18.20 says, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. And finally, Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Oh. Death and life are truly in the power of the tongue. With our mouths, we, we praise God the Father in one setting, and then we curse our neighbor in another. And I think if, if Pastor James was here with us today, he'd say, hey, church, we could do better. And, and the upside for us in the 21st century is that it's, it's easier for us to do better. We have more mediums where we can practice these things. We've got social media, we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram, we've got email. When you're getting ready to leave that angry Yelp review about that restaurant that you just went to, hold up for a minute. Pump the brakes. Try to see things from God's perspective for just a moment. Have some mercy. Have some compassion. Ask yourself, is this edifying? These are all spaces where we, as believers, can enter in and shine the light of Christ. These are, are spaces where we can be quick to listen and slow to get angry, slow to comment. Places where the words of life are so abundantly necessary. So with that in mind, I'm going to challenge you this coming week to be even more intentional with your words. Let them be life-giving and uplifting to others. Let them be encouraging and filled with humility. American poet Emily Dickinson said, A word is dead when it is said, some say. I say it just begins to live that day. Once it's said, it can't be unsaid. Let your words come to life this week, and then set them free to give life to others. Amen? Right, let me pray for us. I'd like to invite the worship team up. Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you for a word so powerful that created everything. Lord, remind us of the power of our words to create relationships, to edify, to strengthen, to repair. Lord, would you speak truth to us this week? Help us to to look to you first before our own selfish needs. To, to use our words to honor you. Lord, we love you. Our desire is to serve you. To introduce the world who don't know you to you through our words. And all God's people said, Amen. Just stand with you.